is I want to warn you that I'm going to fly through this um, 20 minutes, 30 minutes on the height, on the high side. And my intent is to take you on a journey that I've already taken you on before. Now, write this down um, because I didn't warn the staff early enough to tell you this, but there is a sermon I did December 4th, 2020. Say it with me, please. Say December 4th, 2020. If you go to rickytemple.com, R-I-C-K-Y temple.com, that's my website where I keep my stuff. It's kind of like where I have my little, my little special stuff I keep. And I put stuff on my website. Uh, it's different than the church's website, but, it's, but you can get some of the same information on the church website if you go to the archive area. But at rickytemple.com, if you click on, on, on media, you'll see sermons and you'll have an archive area. You'll see it's not easy to find. Click on media, and you'll see 2020 sermons. See, I'm just, look, I am so helpful to you. And you can click into the sermon, and you can see a sermon entitled um, The Truth About Voting in Politics. And I spend a lot more time explaining, I think, some helpful insights about it that I think will be helpful to you. Now, you might ask the question, so what is your goal today, Pastor? Well, we're in a series called Stuck and Distracted. That's been our theme, and that will be our theme for this month. Now, today, uh, I'm going to talk about this wonderful um, principle that will help you not be stuck and distracted by politics. Last week, we talked about being stuck and distracted by family, how easy it is to be stuck and distracted. But today, I want to take you on this journey and I want to show you how a person can be stuck and distracted in their life and how they can get lost and, and not, know, not know how to, how to manage it. I mean, it can be really difficult. Last week, we talked about children. It was a great study, and I think the kids would say it was fair. But today, as I talk to you, I, I, I am so overwhelmed by the political wrangling. And a lot of times, you know, Christians uh, approach things with such a narrow focus sometimes. And it's, it's not just Christians. Men do it. Women do it. People do it. But I want to take you to a verse, Galatians 5, which is our launching verse. And I want you to listen to this verse because this is kind of our starting place. Read it out loud with me, please. Say, stand fast, stand fast. Therefore, therefore, in the liberty, in the liberty. By, which Christ by which Christ has made us free. And do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. The bottom line is God wants you to be a free person, not an entangled person. So anything that ties you up emotionally, ties up your mind, keeps you tied up is not God's will for your life. That you should be free. If you're not free, there's a problem. Now, in regards to the issues of politics, there's a question. Should we care? Should we respect and participate in the nation's political and social affairs? Should I, should I even care about all this? Let me give you a short answer. Yes. The Bible says, and I'll talk about this more in a minute, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar, to God the things that are God. The Bible even says to Timothy, we should pray for those in high authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life. There is a benefit in me caring about the world around me. 
one of the things I've learned about isolating myself is that I can be naive. One of the reasons why I pick a board or two to serve on, that's a community board, that's not a Christian or a, or a religious organization, is because I need to be in touch with the world I live in. I need to be in, in tune. I tend to, um, somebody, somebody asked me on a plane, a, a, a political figure a person asked me, we sat next to each other and she said, tell me why you don't do more in the community. That's what she asked me. And I said, what makes you think I don't? And she said, well, I don't see you. And I said, well, I started listing what we do and she was shocked. We feed thousands of people. We sponsor several schools. We, I went through a list of things that we do. And she said, you don't brag about it. I said, no, but the people who I help know about it. I, you know, the money that I mentioned that we give, I, now, I didn't say that to brag. I said that to say, I want to inspire you, and I want you to know why we should give. You know, I mean, I, there's something about me being able to do more than talk. Can I get an amen, somebody? And, and so you know, one, of the, one, of the, one of the issues for me is I realize that sometimes people can't see both sides of an issue. I'm going to digress. A friend of mine comes to my office and she says to me, she says, um, and we have done several deals together, business deals together over the years, and she's a banker, and she said, I want you to consider being on this board, right? And I told her, I said, well, I don't like being on boards because all of that takes up a lot of time. And so she, because, because of who they sent to ask me, I, I said, I'll, I'll go to a meeting. I ended up going to the United Way meeting, and I ended up being a part of um, this group. And what amazed me was the amount of things that they practically do. Now, they're not perfect. They've had moments, we all know, and some of you may have had them, but, but they have done them. That mean, they touch thousands of people, 53% of um, 53 organizations or so. Six, this is amazing. Um, because I'm black, you didn't notice that, right? <laughs> and it's been predominantly white. Um, I said, once I got in and they had this big area, I'm really digressing too much here, uh, where they were talking about social justice and, 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 and racial equality and all that. And that's part of their national, each, each United Way had to come up with a, a statement of how they're going to respond to equity. Everybody had to come up with a statement. So I was asked to be a part of that board, that group. And, and, and I, I, I was impressed with uh, the response they gave me to a question. I said, what percentage of your money do you, do you, do you invest in people of color? just because I'm one I want to know, and I'm giving, right? Okay. 60% of, of, the, of the amount, and they didn't do this before this, but 60% of the money that they, that they, where they can measure rates, because you can't measure it in every situation, because they measure, they touch more than just this county. They touch several counties. Some are predominantly white counties. Some are, so, you know, but where, where they can measure it, I think it's 60 plus percent of the money that they receive, where they can measure it, touches people of color. It's phenomenal what they do. Churches, they give churches a run for their money because a lot of times we talk but don't do. Not, 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 not a way you can measure it. Having said that, again, no organization is perfect. I've helped them find some areas where they're not doing well, and they've worked on it. I'm, I'm honored by that. But here's my point. 
I wouldn't know that. I wouldn't understand the power of the governor who wrote me a really nice letter because he heard me speak at a particular sad event, police, you know, so I mean, I've, but you wouldn't know the power that he has if you're not informed or the power of the mayor or the power the mayor doesn't have or the impact that a city official can have. Or you, you wouldn't know that. If I live in my Christian bubble, that's what I'm trying to get to. If I live over here in the land of holy hallelujah and come in here and we dance and we shout and we talk about God, when he get outside that door, it doesn't mean a thing. If I can't get a zoning changed, if I can't buy anything, if I can't get a loan, I needed $4.7 million for you to, years ago to refinance a deal we put together. And I had one person walk in my office and said, what are you working on, Pastor Rick? I said, I'm working on this deal. I said, I'm trying. And I, and I had a little challenge for a minute. And he made one phone call. How many calls did he make? One. one. Put me in touch with another bank. We worked the deal out. I'm still with the other bank. But God gave me another bank. And we got $4.7 million in a week. <laughs> now, we'd I paid almost 60% of that off. And we only spent 8% of our money on mortgage debt. Yay. Come on. Come on. And I'm saying all that to say this. We bought up a lot of land, did a lot of good stuff, smart stuff. But here's the deal. I couldn't just do that living in my Christian bubble. I want you to just think about that. So you got to care about who's in office. you got to care about the politics. You may not know where to go with it, but you need to care about it. Now, having said all that, let me, i got to press on. That was too long. I shouldn't have done that, but you got the point. Here we go. Should we care? <laughs> the answer is yes. We must honor Caesar. Here's what I want you to be careful about, though. Honor Caesar, but don't become what I call and what is defined, and be careful with this term, a Christian nationalist. Christian nationalism. Here's what, that, here's what that means. Christian nationalism is the belief that the American nation is defined by Christianity and that the government should, should take active steps to keep it that way. There is an assumption when Christians engage this topic that we come to it knowing everything. And that somehow we're going to take the nation and make it Christian. Hang with me. Here's what I've learned, though. We can't force our nation or political system to be Christian. Be, hear me carefully. We must avoid the trap of this assumption. Think about the people you work with and think about what it would be like if you were to tell them you can't drink anymore. You can't smoke anymore. You can't avoid going to church. You must go. Now, some of you grew up in houses like that. But when you got to a certain age, what did you say? When I get out of here, I'm never going to go to church. Some of you are home right now because you went through that. Listen carefully. And all this is in my notes. So you can get the notes and follow me. Christians, American Christians, in the past, 
were exemplary, I believe, in helping establish the American experiment. And many American Christians worked in slavery and segregation and other evils. They did so because they believed Christianity required them to work for justice. Christians have done a lot of good things politically in the past, but they worked to advance Christian principles, not Christian power or Christian culture. Now, hear me carefully. If you're not careful, what you're trying to do, what we can try to do is promote Christian culture. I'm trying to make you be a Christian. I'm trying to make you, through political means, adhere to Christian principles. I want you to be a Christian. That's why I'm up here, by the way. But I understand I can't force you. The distinction between normal Christians and political engagement and Christian nationalism is that national Christianism, national Christian thinking, implies that there's somehow a superior place that we as Christians live. And our main goal is to bring you over into every single thing we believe. Normal Christians' political engagement should be humble, loving, and sacrificial. It rejects the idea that Christians are entitled to the primacy of a place in public square that's better than everybody else. In other words, everybody should be like us. We, when we, I, watch this, I watch this in gatherings. People come and ask me, ask me, but I pray. And, and I'm, not, I'm not ashamed of Jesus, but I know I got Muslims in the room. I got Jews in the room. I'm going to speak this week at a university, and they have asked me nicely to not preach. And I told them, you will love me. Because I'm the guy that can come and not force it on anybody. I don't believe that we should have the assumption that when I'm around people who don't believe what I believe, that my main goal should be to convert you. I think love you, yes. Convert you, not necessarily. That's not always true. I believe the Bible is right that I should care about the world around me. But Matthew chapter 22, verse 17, sets the premise. Here's how this should be balanced. You ready? Here we go. I told you, this is about how to think. Matthew 22, 17. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay to the imperial um, tax to Caesar or not? That's the question. Should we pay taxes? Should we care about what the government asks us to pay? What about the IRS? Should I, should I, should I not? Here's Jesus' advice to you. Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said... You hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin and use for paying the tax. They brought him a Daenerys. He asked them, whose image is this? Whose inscription? They said, Caesar's. They replied. He said to them, so give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is whose? God's. When they heard this, they were amazed and they walked away. Notice He wants us to never forget our responsibility to those that are over us. He told him, he said, you're going to have to honor Caesar. Now, I'm going to tell you something. If you do not pay the IRS, you will have a jail ministry eventually. (laughs) I go to prisons to preach. There are a lot of saved people in prison. Praise the Lord, Pastor Rick. God bless you. Hallelujah. Yeah, I, I, I watch you on TV. I mean, it's amazing. Save, and I mean some of the best worship I had was in prison. Because they ain't got nothing else to do. When they come to worship, man, they all focused. Everybody got their hands up. 
Even people who don't believe in God go to worship. They ain't got nothing else to do. So they sit in there with the Christians. They all mix together. It's an amazing thing. Here's what I need to see myself as. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. Say it with me. Say, I am the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. That's what I'm supposed to be. We must never forget. That's my first responsibility to the nation. It's to be a light, to show them, to be the flavor in the world. That's my job. God established government for a reason. Now, this is Romans chapter 13, and all this is in the sermon notes, okay? All this is in sermon notes. This is an important principle to understand because without a, a system, there's chaos. Without this church being organized, there's chaos. There's a system. There's a pastor, there's, there's staff, there's executive, there's elders, there's leaders. God establishes, here's what he said in Romans 13, this is important, verse 1. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. For there's no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. God never wants us to have a hostile attitude towards authority. Now, I'm going to show you that authority can be unfair. I'm coming there, hang with me, okay? I promise, I'll get there. Authority can be abused. I'll get there. But understand, he says, our responsibility should be to respect it. Number two, God established the government to do good in our lives. That's what they should be doing. Now, they don't always do it, but that's what he said. Verse 6, Romans chapter 13. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. That's what he wanted, full time people that could take care of managing our affairs, our roads, our bridges, who, people who could fix things when it's broken, a 911 place you can call. God wanted government in place, laws to prevent people from breaking your house and stealing your stuff. Give, verse 7, give to everyone what you owe them. That's not about paying a debt back. That's about being respectful. Verse 7, he goes on, give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay what? If revenue, what? If you owe some cash, pay them. If respect, what do you do? Respect them. If honor, then what do you do? Yes, sir, Mr. President. Whether I like you or not. You don't get to choose. It's tough stuff. Gets tougher. Hang with me. This one made our staff, and we talked it through, sit up on there, sit up <laughs> straight. First Peter 2 is one of the most Difficult verses to talk about because in 1 Peter chapter 2, there are three things believers should do that he says in here that are tough, especially when it comes to government. Here's what he says. Abstain from unhealthy habits. Dear friends, I urge you, foreigners and exiles, to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. You need to be careful because you don't develop a bad habit that can hurt you. What you should focus on is, watch this now, live good lives. Verse 12 of 1 Peter chapter uh, 2. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Now watch this. Be careful. Be sure that when people look at you who are not Christian, who are, not, who are pagans, he calls them, that they see good. They see honesty. They see truth. If we are liars as Christians, if we are inconsistent as Christians, they will see it. Watch this. Have you ever seen, didn't work good last week, let's try it this week. 
Have you ever seen a Christian not tell the truth? Raise your hand. Okay, I didn't say you. Okay? So we should abstain from, from unhealthy habits. We should live good lives. And then lastly, we should inspire people with our works. I love Matthew 5.16. In the same way, let your light so shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father. All this talk means nothing if there's nothing people can see. You have to have evidence or proof. Now, the proof is difficult, especially sometimes when it comes to government. This gets sticky, okay? Here's what he says. This is 1 Peter, again, chapter 2. It's a great read. 1 Peter talks about this. Submit yourself to every human authority. That's the first thing that's tough to do faithfully. Because human authority isn't always fair. You're going to see that in a minute. And I want to say, 1 Peter 2 used to be used by slave owners to justify slavery. They used to tell slaves, see the Bible say, submit to your master. Man, I want to say it because I don't want to forget it, so I'm going to come back to read that. Sometimes you're in a disadvantaged situation, and you've got to learn how to take advantage of your disadvantage. Let me say it again. I'm going to do a whole sermon on this one, I promise. It's coming. Taking advantage of your disadvantage. There are moments in life when you are in a family that is unfair and that you're going to be there for a few more minutes. But you have to learn how to take advantage of that moment. You are not always advantaged. And in the Bible, everybody that you read about wasn't always advantaged. One of the shocking things I tell people, Daniel was in the lion's den. Amen? Three Hebrew boys was in the fiery furnace. Amen? Did they win? They got out, didn't they? but they were still slaves. You didn't think about it. It's, I didn't think about that either. They didn't leave. They were still stuck in Babylon. But they took advantage of their what? Disadvantage. They, they became great leaders. They had great wealth in the disadvantage. I believe you can be in a disadvantaged situation and God can show you how to take advantage of the disadvantage. Come on, are you hearing what I'm saying? God will give you an attitude and a way to think. Now, some people say, well, you better be glad I wasn't back in the day. I would have, you'd be dead now. So you'd be dead, <laughs> foolishly killed over things you can't. You so bad. Mm -hmm. First Peter 2, 13. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether the emperor as the supreme authority or governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong. That's what they're supposed to do. They're only supposed to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. That's what they're supposed to do. They don't always do that. For in God's, it's God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people. Live as what? Free, free people. But do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God and honor the emperor. That's your job. That's what he says. Now, you may not agree with everything, but that's what he says. Now, look at number two. Submit to imperfect leaders. This is hard. This is where people got a little nervous when I said it in our private discussions. A, a, there, there is in life a season of unfair circumstances. 
Slavery was an unfair circumstance. It was wrong. Every way you can mention, you didn't learn nothing, you didn't get no skills, I'm sorry. You know what I'm saying? I mean, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Um, it's just wrong, okay? I don't need to get too far. All right, let me, let me keep going. All right, so, but slaves, verse 18, are told, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters. Not only to those who are good and considerate, but to those who are harsh. If, you, if, if it's your philosophy that I'm only going to deal with easy people, you're not going to win. You got to learn how to deal with crazy people, foolish people, unfair people, unfair circumstances. You have to know how to manage all of that. Some of you grew up in homes that were unfair. Can I get an amen, somebody? You were not treated fairly, but you survived it. You took advantage of the disadvantage. There are moments, and that's what he's talking about. He's not endorsing slavery. He's saying, you are here. And because I put you folks in charge of the world, you folks have decided not to follow me. These are going to be circumstances you got to manage. Keep going with me. Verse 19. Learn how to respond wisely to seasons you can't control. For it is, a, it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering. It is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering. Because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and enduring it? If you did it and you get beat, you can't blame anybody but yourself. But if you suffer for doing good and you endure, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that just like they treated me wrong and I responded, when they treat you wrong, here's how you should respond. Are you with me? Hang with me. He committed no sin. <laughs> he committed no sin. And no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judged justly. How Christ suffered for us led to our healing. He himself bore our sins, verse 24, on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you were healed. For you were like sheep gone astray, but now you've returned to the shepherd, the overseer of your soul. All of that for you. And it wasn't fair. And it wasn't right. And it was because of you. He went through this. Here's my point. There are moments in life when this is the case. I want you to notice the, the whole underlying message to believers. Be a light. Tell the truth. Don't lie. Even though there's confusing politics around you and you tend to get stuck here and stuck on that position and this position. But what's, what's, what's going to make you better than the world around you is you're honest. This is true. This is not true. And if I suffer for the truth, it's OK, because Christ suffered for the truth. Can I get an amen to that? I got one clap. Is that right? You got that part? When I say closing, I really mean it. Some people don't. But as I close, what was the world like when Jesus grew up? What was it like? Very political. 
A lot of political fights, Sanhedrin, Pharisees, Sadducees, a lot of fights, a lot of different schools of thought, theology. Did he try to win everyone over to his political position? No. He tried to win them to the kingdom. He was kingdom minded. Is it wrong to try to win somebody your political view? No, I'm not saying that. I'm simply saying his focus was not that. I'm not saying you can't campaign for your belief. But I'm just talking about Jesus right now. And notice what he did. Thirdly, was Jesus a Democrat, Republican, or an independent? Well, I know he was a Republican, Pastor Rick. He had to be. He had to be. Couldn't be a Democrat. Well, let's see. Democrats were for slavery back in the 1860s. Oh, Jesus wasn't a Democrat. He switched parties. He, he was a Republican. Like Abe Lincoln, you know what I'm saying? Abe Lincoln. See, he had... He, so during this period of time, he was a Republican, and then he switched parties and he became a Democrat. See, a lot of you didn't know. Back in slavery days, the Democrats were for it. Mm-hmm. Republicans set you free. Quiet in the house. And then... Slowly, in 1865, around April, when they assassinated Abraham Lincoln, the world changed again. The parties have always intertwined, always moved back and forth. They, they turned a blind eye to things they shouldn't have throughout history. So here's the bottom line. He wasn't a Republican. He wasn't a Democrat. He wasn't an independent. He was Jesus. Come on, amen. He wasn't. He was on the site of what was right. If this was wrong, he said it. If this was right, he said it. Wherever right was, that's where he landed. Jesus focused on the kingdom of heaven. So here's some questions you might say. Boy, you're gonna, you promised us last week. I'm going to give you five answers to five questions. This is going to be fast and in a hurry. I'm going to tell you the questions first. And I'm going to jump in and jump out. You ready? What do I think about Donald Trump? What do I think about President Biden? What do I think about the Supreme Court? What, are, what, do I, what, do I, what do I think could potentially happen if we don't change? And what do I think about abortion? You gonna talk about all that in, in, in a few couple of seconds? Absolutely. You ready? Watch this one, gonna take three seconds. What do I think about Donald Trump? You ready, here we go. I question his leadership approach and feel Christians have let him down by not challenging him when he needs it. That's my first answer. What do I think about Biden? Here you go. I disagree with some of his positions, but he, like all presidents, are flawed and need our prayers and input. Number three, what do I think about the Supreme Court? We need to always keep a balance of power that helps all Christians and non-Christians stay safe in a secular world. I love the words of Paul in, in, in another context that says, let one prophesy and another judge. In other words, you need some balance. You need some system that helps us balance this all out. Number four, what is going to happen if we don't unite? Matthew 12, 25, a house divided cannot stand. That's what the Bible says. He says a house, a government, nobody. You can have any position you want. Here's the deal. We all sink together. Here we go. Number five, what do you think about abortion? And you can't whip through that one. Watch me. Listen carefully. I wrote it. You can get the notes. 
I want every baby to be born, but I also want a, mat, a mature way, I want a mature way to engage the million miscarriages a year. You may not have known that. There are about a million women who suffer miscarriages a year, thereabout. And the estimated 32,000 women that are impregnated against their will each year. This was based on a 1996 estimate that 5% of women that are raped are pre get pregnant. A total, hang with me, of 32.4% of these victims of, the, of these victims did not discover they were pregnant until they had already entered the second trimester. 32% opted to keep their infant, whereas 50% underwent abortions, and 5.9% placed the infant for adoption, and an additional 11.8% of those women had spontaneous abortions. Their body just aborted. And if you've never been through that, it's not good. Shall I say no more? I cannot just wish every baby is born and pass vague laws. Listen carefully. I cannot pass vague laws. I cannot wish every baby is born and pass vague laws that demand it because of the de democratic structure of our society. Because I'm not a dictator. I don't get to impose my will without thought. Because of the democratic structure of our society, we must wrestle with all sides of this issue. Even if we disagree, can you feel yourself? <laughs> Don't know if I like this. I, I understand. And I, that's, that's what democracy demanded. That's what this experiment was about. I don't get to choose everything. Some of you saw it in your marriages. You thought you could just tell your children what to do, and they wrestle with you. You're going to tell your wife what to do, your husband, you wrestling. It's not a perfect world, and you have to find a courageous way to disagree and wrestle and band together. Even if we're not on the same page, we got to find a way forward. Watch this. I must do all I can to get in front of the abortion issue and find ways to support at-risk pregnant mothers and offer support for the many choices they face. I must be informed about the unique challenges each woman faces and provide alternatives that can help them make the best decisions. I will never be able to fully control the choices everyone makes without enslaving them. I will never be able to do that unless I enslave them. But I can find ways to work toward the better options that give each baby a chance to live and mothers a safe place to make tough decisions that I, as a man, will never face. I will never personally face that. Not personally. I may be indirectly impacted. I was when my wife and I lost a child. I was impacted. Oh, yeah. I felt that one. Here's what I've done. Get the notes. I put articles for and against. Some of you have never read another opinion but your own. I gave you books. I did my research to let you dig in on your own. Here's why I did that. Because I'm a thinker. I need to understand that adoption costs twenty dollars to $45,000. I need to understand that. I need to understand that when you step into the adoption process, it could be very expensive. I need to understand that it's $800 to $2,000 to get an abortion. I need to understand that. I need to understand that people make decisions sometimes tied to, to the reasons that I don't necessarily understand. I am a person 
who doesn't know all the answers. I told you you wouldn't leave here more Republican, Democrat, or Independent. I told you that. And I told you that I was through in a few minutes, so stand on your feet. I'm done. <laughs> Why did you do that, Pastor Rick? Because a lot of you are politically stuck. You watch news 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You're entering into the most politically charged season we've had in our history. You're going to be challenged to pick sides and fight each other. Is that a Trumpster? They for Biden. You for abortion. You for again. We in. But the devil knows the rules. A house divided. Jesus didn't say could, maybe. He said cannot stand. We must find a way through this fault. I got strong opinions about a lot of stuff. But I don't pastor one group of people. I lead black, white, Asian, some online, some, some all over the place, predominantly black in here today, but, but I touch a lot of different people. Media, television, radio, a lot of ways I touch people. And that's why I force myself to be around people that are not like me. I was invited to an event and everybody in there was gay, just about, just about. And one person felt so uncomfortable, they came up to me and they said, I, I know Pastor Rick, there's a whole lot of gay people here. I said, I like gay people. You don't like gay people? They was all drinking too. They said, you know, we got soda. I said, I, I, I drink some water. I'm fine. I said, but I don't have to drink. I don't have, to, I don't have to pick on anybody. I don't have to spend my life. If a guy's trans and he's trying to become a woman, that's a lot of work. I ain't got time to bother that brother. Look, that's a lot of work. <laughs> I ain't got time to bother you. That's a lot going on in your life. You working through some stuff, bro. I love you. Give me a hug, man. Hallelujah. Let's get to work. I ain't got time to sit here and I'm not going to be divided. If I'm going to divide from people because they're not where I want them to be, I remember when I used to watch stuff that, that's, that's sinful. I remember when I used to, if I grew up in the house, they had, I mean, not my mama, but my, I had people in my family. They showed me stuff they shouldn't have showed me. I can act all holy now, but sometimes you forget where you came from. You so saved, you done forgot what you used to do. You forgot your own lust. You forgot your own temptations. You forgot the jokes you used to laugh at. But I remember where I came from. And in this political moment, I've watched myself change and sway. But I've also watched this dangerous hatred. This rising. I'm six minutes over, and it's your fault. I need to pray and get out of here. Father, I thank you for this word. What I've said, I pray, is helpful. I pray that we find a way to band together, and I pray that we find a way to stop the madness. We lift up before you all of our political figures, all the issues we face. May Christians be courageous enough to say that's right and that's wrong. May they be courageous enough to say, I don't know. May they be courageous enough to say, that's not my circumstance, it's yours. May we learn to speak the truth. The Bible said we shall know the truth, and the truth shall set us free. 
And I give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Father, I pray for people who don't know your Savior, who need to come to Christ. Let this be the moment of healing for them. May they say, Jesus, be the Lord of my life. Right now, if you're watching at home on the screen, there's something you can click on. Say, yeah, I want Jesus in my life. I want Jesus in my life. I need to give him my life today. Pray with me. Let this be that beginning prayer for you. If you're in the room today and you want me to pray for you for your walk with Christ, let me see you with every head bowed. Raise your hands and pray, and pray for me, Pastor. My walk with God is what I need prayer for. Anybody said, pray for me. I see I need prayer. Father, touch those whose hands are up, whose hearts are up. I see your hand. Heal, bless, and touch. And we give you all the praise in Jesus' name.